pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Angriement. I'm Catherine. And I'm Michelle. This podcast, we bring to you three things. A weird thing. A pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we try to make them fit all together. But in this episode, it is our 10th episode. 10, yay! Yay, I'm very excited, Michelle. I'm stoked we've been doing this for 10 whole times about nine more times than we knew we were going to do it when we did the first one so (laughs) I'm yeah yeah this really this really got some legs and it's I'm I'm riding it all the way it is I've told everybody that it's it was my best part of 2020 like it was the one the one thing I was like but this part was fun so I'm I'm ready to just keep going I learned a lot and I can have talks with my friend again (laughs) Which is all I wanted. So in honor of our 10th episode, we have a little surprise coming up later in this in this very episode. And um, once you've heard about that, we're also going to find a new way for you to participate in our Keeping Angriement going. And with that... Weird thing. Weird thing. So my weird thing for this week is that I have been, um, I've been a Mac user for quite a while. I switched over in, I think I switched over around the time that I went to grad school. So it's, it's been a while now. And you tell me, Michelle, I'm, I'm very interested in this right off the bat. Sorry to interrupt. Why did you switch? You know, like I just felt like I was replacing my PC computers like every year basically. And, um, somebody had finally convinced me that I wouldn't have to do that. Cause at the time, I mean, you know, I was, I was broke and it seemed ridiculous to spend so much more on a computer than the other computer. But someone was like, you have to replace them every year. So you really are spending more. And it, you know, I was going to graduate school and I was like, all right, if I'm going to invest in something aside from all these student loans in this graduate program, mm-hmm. I will also buy this expensive computer. And then it lasted like, it did last. In fact, I'm just interested because that's my exact story. I went through, I went to grad school and in the course of starting grad school, I went through three Dells in the course of four months, one of which literally melted. It literally melted. The plastic just crumpled up from the overheating battery. And I had someone tell me the same thing, which is, you've already, you've bought three computers. You have to stop. And 
that first computer, that first computer that I got when I first went to grad school is still in use. I gave it to someone that I know who is still using it today. And that's been more than a, substantially more than a decade ago. Like, so I think it's like 13 years ago and it was, it's still functioning. So, um, I definitely am a, I am a, I'm a convert, but my weird thing is that even as long as I have been using Macs, their intuitive nature is still just always, it's, it's not how my brain works. So like a lot of the, you know, like, so when you open up an iPhone, it doesn't come with like the instruction. It's like, you'll just figure it out because it's so yeah. intuitive, right? <laughs> um, and either my brain does not work the way that all of the research studies show people's brains work, that they've created these beautiful intuitive devices, like, I, I'm just not, I, I want instructions. I want you to give me a list. You want of, that paper <laughs> manual. Of the things that can be done. I want to, and I'm not actually, like, if I'm putting together, like, things from Ikea, I don't want, like, I will just be jumping ahead. And I'm like, well, this looks like this goes with this. Like, I'm not, a, I have to read the instruction manual from front to back before I start diving into a project. Like, I don't mind exploring something without knowing all of the answers, but with, with a lot of my Apple products, I feel like I just don't even know what I might find. Like I, like it's all There's just like a, a mystery, world. right? Yes. <laughs> Which is fun if I'm on vacation, but not fun when we're talking about this $1,500 machine that I bought to do work on. I would like to know what things it does, please. <laughs> And then there's always these like articles that are like, get the most out of your Mac. I'm like, this, these aren't really hacks. This is just what it does. Why? It's do an I instruction have- manual. <laughs> Why do I have to go find bloggers to tell me what my computer does? Um, so all of that to say that my weird thing is this week I had to embed some images into a text document that I was working on in collaboration to, we were working on like a website redesign and we were trying to say, we like this element from this and trying to describe it in text was getting, so I was like, oh, I'll embed, I'll take screenshots and embed them in this document. And we'll kind of create a mock-up website of all these different elements. And as I was doing that, my computer flashed something weird at me. And I was like, what is that? And I clicked it and it opened up the document that I was working on, on my phone, which was next to me and let me write on it. Like, like, and then I have this fancy stylus and like, so I could annotate the thing. And I had no idea that that was something that my computer could do. I had Absolutely no idea. And I would have been using that because that's something that like yeah. as a teacher, like to be able to like annotate students' work. Yeah. And I'm still not sure what made it pop up. Like, and I couldn't get it to recreate it with other stuff. You haven't been able to replicate it? <laughs> no, I can if I do exactly what I did to put that image in. But if I just want to say like, hey, I already have an image, please pull it up on my phone so that it it had to be like that particular set of steps. And I've even tried like searching, but I don't know what, what the, like, I don't know what to call it. So I don't know how to, (laughs) and so all of that to say that my weird thing for this week is Apple's intuitive nature is not intuitive to me. I feel you. I feel you, Michelle. Okay. My weird thing and I might be doing some pre-connections again, my weird thing is that I, this is not the weird thing, but I do have, I have um, three Google alerts set up in my life. One is for myself. One is for my husband. 
And one is for the artist, Rosemary Trockel. And I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion here. That is because I wrote a book on the artist, Rosemary Trockel. You all should read it. Schizogenesis, the art of Rosemary Trockel. I read it. It's great. You you were the only human being in the world, other than my husband, who read it before it went out to peer review. I didn't let anyone look at it. I was so afraid. So I trusted you. I trusted my husband. And then it went out into the world. And it's it's brilliant. And you should read it. Oh, thank you. So I'm very interested in Rosemary Trockel. I think she's a great artist. I started getting all these Google alerts. And usually I get maybe one two a year because she has an exhibition somewhere. And this time I got the Google alert. I got five in a day today. They were from Women's Wear Daily, Town and Country, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue Magazine, and the New York Times Magazine. And I was like, what is happening? This is exciting. Basically, she is a model now. Oh, I am stoked. I am stoked on a rope. That's not a phrase, but (laughs) she is basically, so I went down this rabbit hole and so I looked at the first one and the headline was artist Rosemary Trockel helped solve Bottega Veneta's biggest problem, how to present a collection in a world without fashion shows. And so it turns out that during fashion week, like New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, all the fashion weeks. I don't know much about Bottega Veneta. I love fashion and like, um, I'm very, very into what Gucci's been doing lately. I um, am convinced Michelle Alessandro, who designs for Gucci, lives in my dreams because he had like a whole show about Foucault. He had a whole show about Donna Haraway, all these theorists I was really into, he was using. But Bottega Veneta, I'm not very familiar with that fashion designer. It turns out that during this fashion week, because you couldn't have fashion shows in person because of COVID, they were saying, how can we reimagine them? And that, I'll just read this, he got help from Rosemary Truckle. And the, this article is from Artnet, said that in the collection of Bottega Veneta's creative director, Daniel Lee, there's always been an element of surprise, including his many collaborations with celebrated artists. For the Italian Heritage's House Spring 2021 presentation, Lee recruited a novel artistic partner, German conceptual artist, Rosemary Trockel. At first blush, the very private Trockel is a surprise ally. Her highly intellectual, extremely unflashy work has never been incorporated into a fashion collaboration before. But in another way, she is a perfect fit. So I started exploring. Turns out he was the darling of Fashion Week, like the best looks. But that's not where it stops. That's old news. That happened like a few months ago. They have just put out Bottega Veneta, their campaign, which is like all the big, shiny, glossy ads that are going to be in the magazines. And he chose Rosemary Trockel to be like one of the main models. Wow. And so I'm like, that's so cool. And I was looking through the images. I'm like, where is it? Show her, show her to me. And I didn't realize 
that the main cover image in every story was her. And that shocked me because I've spent right God, over a decade, over a decade of my life studying this woman. And I've seen a lot of pictures of her. I have a tattoo of her artwork on my arm. And it was, um, and then I realized, no, that is her. Like, that's her. I looked at the picture more closely and it just was, so it's weird. It's not so weird. Like a lot of fashion houses are using like alternative models or people that are just cool in the world and important in culture as models. That's not so weird, but it was just really cool to see this image and not recognize her at first. And, and it's not because they dolled her up or anything. She's very much dressed down. She's not wearing a lot of makeup. It's very natural. But there was just something about her. And maybe this is me over reading because I'm obsessed with her because I wrote a book on her. But she just seems more relaxed than she ever has. And she just seemed really in her element. And I will include this image, a link to it in the show notes. But there's something about this image it is intoxicating. She's out by a beautiful blue lake. She's wearing a beautiful green coat and she just looks fabulous. And I love this kind of, it's not a second act or anything. This is a very natural fit. She works with fashion and her art, but I texted it to my mother and my mother became obsessed with this image. It's weird that this image I think is so striking. Everyone I've been showing this image to is like, this is a good image. <laughs> And um, I also appreciate that my mom was like, well, I need to buy this, this garment she's wearing. And then looked it up and like, oh, it's $4,000. We can't do need that. to wait till the knockoffs of this garment come out. And then exactly, <laughs> you know, like you say, it's not a second act. It's a natural trajectory, but it obviously, if your Google alerts go from two a year in obscure art magazines to five a day from major publications like that's a different audience right like even yeah. if even if it is a natural progression of your work you're getting to share it in a in a new venue to a new group of of eyes and that's exciting so exciting and speaking of that this is where I'm pre-connecting I so we're this misrecognition or at least she was in a different kind of element I don't know if you remember um a few episodes back I talked about a um, artist cartoonist that I really love named Chanel Miller. Was this and she's the, crows? the one She did the crows. Do you know who Chanel Miller is? No. I know her. Good. I know her as a super talented author, illustrator, artist. That's, it. I follow her on Instagram. She does crow cartoons that make me cry. And I was very torn about even including this in the podcast. But I think the message is important. And the chocolate oh, thing were when you texted me and said I'm torn about all my things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, because but the chocolate thing made me think about it because the chocolate was such a delight. And I think it's really great when people it was cool that I, I didn't even recognize her because she is a model. She was a model. It's not, oh, she's an artist. And she, that was completely her. I, um, Chanel Miller wrote a book called Chanel Miller Know My Name. And she's now promoting it a lot. And so she included on her Instagram, her talking to Oprah. And she said, we brought up how 
um, I kind of got into art more professionally because my therapist told me to do art therapy after this incident happened. And she said, because I, I'm Emily Doe. And Emily Doe, for those that don't know, was in the Stanford rape case. Yeah. With Brock Turner, who's literally in certain textbooks under rape, under rape culture. Um, she was the person he assaulted. Oh, I had no idea. Me either. And I was very torn because I was so happy that she, that was not a part of her identity for me. And that's just how she lived in the world. And that's just who she was. And that wasn't her story. And it didn't need to be. But, and so that I really like, right? That, um, but that's not to say that that isn't an important part of your story. We've talked on this podcast about, like, when do you tell the tragic parts of right. your story? When do people need that? And I think her success and how I came to know her and her presence in the world showed that you don't have to until you want to. Yeah. That you it, were kind of getting down, right? That you have to, you have to show that trauma. And she did it until she was ready. And now she's ready. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of just sitting with that. Like I, it, and it is, it is making me think of a lot of callbacks. So I think it might've been one of our very first episodes where we were talking about trauma and identity and storytelling and um, performative trauma, right? Like, yeah. And, and so it seems like she avoided that performative trauma by not making it. Uh, th- this is making me think of um, Chadwick Boseman and the how no one knew that he was dying of of cancer. Yeah. And um, you know, people were making fun of him for being skinny, right? Like, um, like it doesn't look like doesn't doesn't look like the king now or whatever. And I mean, he was dying. Yeah. And who and was people- it that said on the sh- on the set of the five um, the, the five the- bloods? Yeah. Somebody, so an actor that was with him said, because he kept going back to his trailer, said that he thought he was being a diva and he felt so bad about uh, that. And I mean, and he very clearly was taking on projects. I mean, took on so many projects to like leave that legacy and and create like, I mean, I just the thought of like how much you're you're carefully crafting this legacy that's gonna be left behind while not letting people know the the trauma and the the difficulty of creating that at the time like i'm i'm guess i'm projecting how but it just feels like so much right to have to so much like, to carry. carry that while doing it and um but then what would have happened if he if he had come out you know if he had told everybody this is what's happening i would he have been it able would to be a different legacy way, right right yeah exactly vastly different legacy and he was and i think what's important here isn't Hide your pain. That's not the lesson, right? right? I think it was his wife that was in an interview. She was like, look, this wasn't secret pain. It just wasn't public pain, right? Like he yeah. had support. He had people who loved him and knew what was going on. And like, it just wasn't you. Like, and I, and that, that yeah. really hit me, right? Like. Right. That we feel like, like you said in that early episode, that people feel owed it. Yeah. We're owed it. If you have a story that hurts, we are owed it. We want we want your pain. If that's something with pain that is, I share your pain. I feel your pain. We don't say that a lot with other emotions. Yeah. But it's something about pain is we want to eat it up and we need it and it's ours. I hate it. I remember um, writing about pain. One of my early graduate classes was on, it was post-colonial lit. 
and there was a lot of of trauma in that in that um, literature. In particular, there was a I can't remember the author's name now, but there was a rape scene that was really particularly traumatic. And I was writing about it through these theoretical lens about how pain can only be described with metaphor, like that you can't you can't really understand what someone else's pain feels like. So that it's it's like you're tr- like even just talking about pain is always putting you into this weird third space where neither one of you Mm. actually know what the other one is saying, but you're both trying to exchange this understanding. Um, That, I mean, maybe that's also true of happiness, right? Like, how do you know what my happy feels like? But I don't feel like we, like, if you say it felt like a hammer smashing into my hand to describe, you know, the pain that you're having from, some issue with your, you know, like, like nerves stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like if, if we're, if we're using all these similes and metaphors, but we can never quite get at the thing, like we're always trying to like share around it. Um, I don't know exactly. And wouldn't I'm, you say there's just less simile and metaphor about happiness? Maybe not. I don't, I'm but I don't happy. Know. <laughs> I mean, what does happy as a clam mean? Right. It's certainly not right? as, right. Like it's certainly so not as happy vivid. I could who? What is <laughs> What is it? I'm so happy I could something. I can't think of it. Um, I might be spoiling my research. It's very poop heavy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks. I think all we're saying is it's not that you have to like conquer it or you have to um, share. You, you don't have to share or hide it, but we just societally need to make room for you to be allowed to say when and how you do that and because yeah she's an amazing amazing cartoonist I loved that crow cartoon and I'm sure the book is also amazing that was a long word <laughs> well it so was a weird. lot of we, we, yeah. we dove into it together I feel like it was a thanks for doing that with me together yeah. but I just yeah, yeah I was torn because I wanted maybe to let her continue just being that but um but also it is part of her story, right? So like, almost, yeah. it's almost like, you know, you're not owed her pain, but you're also not owed the shield from that either, right? Like, yeah, to, to say, oh, I don't want to tell you makes that then such a negative or thing we should hide. And it's not that either. Right. Yeah. And on that. And on that, it is time to move on. Which, should we start with the, okay. Let's start with our surprise. Our surprise just for you. Our new feature for Angreement that we hope we will continue to bring to you is a grab bag. And so our grab bag feature is going to be um, either audio clips or um, some, you can write them in and we can read them out, but you get to contribute something to the podcast. And we have one today as an example. This one is from my daughter. So I am going to share her pop culture. Yay. And if you want to contribute to the grab bag, stay tuned to the end of the podcast. We'll have more information 
exactly how to contribute and we'll put info in the show notes as well. Are you ready? I am ready to hear from Ayla, one of my favorite people in the world, genuinely. Cue the lights, cue the music, cue the confetti, it is me! Hi, I'm Ayla and I'm the celebrity guest. Just kidding, I'm not really a celebrity, I'm just a kid, but I am a guest and I do have something to say. I have a pop culture thingy for Angriement, and it's a podcast called Six Minutes. You may have heard of it, you may have not, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. It's So each episode is around six minutes, and I think the writers were trying to aim for a podcast that was short, and you could listen to it while you were like going somewhere, you're going to soccer practice, listen to six minutes. You're taking a walk in the park, you're listening to six minutes. You're cleaning your room, you're listening to six minutes. It's, it's a mystery podcast, and it's very interesting. So the bad thing about mysteries is that I can't tell you too much about it without spoiling the entire thing, and I don't want to get murdered. So I'm not going to tell you too much. It all starts with the Anders family. Mrs. Anders, Mr. Anders, Cyrus Anders, and Bertie Anders. They were going on some kind of cruise to see whales, and Bertie wants to get a better look. She falls in the water. When Cyrus fishes her out, Bertie spots a girl just floating in the water, unconscious. When the girl wakes up, she she only has one memory, that her name is Holiday. Cyrus says that he saw a strange marking on her hand. The parents claim they didn't see it, but when they get alone, we find out that they did see the marking, and they're trying to cover it up. So something shady is going on, but we don't know what. And even though each episode is only six minutes long, there are like 205 of them. So... There's a lot of twists and mystery, and I know some stuff might not make a lot of sense now, but it makes more sense as you go through. I picked this as my hot culture subject because I really like the drama, and I think that the script was just very good, but it's... Some of the episodes aren't always that good. You just have to wait and put up with some of the boring ones, to get to the really juicy stuff. Oh, and if you finish it, don't worry, there's a sequel. It's called Remy's Life Interrupted, which is about, well, her name is Remy, and it's about her life, but after the, after COVID-19 hit, and her life was sort of, well, messed up. So that's my pop culture thing. Thanks for listening. Ayla out. Ayla out. Oh, yay. What a great first grab bag. Also, I love protagonists named Remy. As we have this <laughs> week, I'm in. Um, as we listen to that, I have already subscribed. So it has at least spread it to one other person. She has Sold. been like every time that um, I can't find her, she's holed up in the basement listening to six minutes. So she yeah. is, she's obsessed. So. She's right. There's at least three seasons. My phone said I'm out of storage now. <laughs> Speaking of iPhones. So that awesome. is that is our, our pop culture grab bag that we now have to include that as we as we go into the mix. 
Ayla's submission of six minutes is one of the things we will be talking about. I think that's definitely going to be the fun. We're not going to do the grab bag necessarily every week, but, um, and maybe we'll have like an all grab bag episode and we are trying to figure out how we will keep it a mystery to us because our info is mysteries to each other, but yeah, get your grab bag in there, throw it in the mix, make it hard for us to connect. Give us a challenge. Challenge. So six minutes podcast, mysterious, mysterious holiday floating in the water. So my pop culture thing is that I have started watching Veronica Mars and I, I'm sorry. I, I love the theme song to Veronica Mars. Oh, it's been in my head all day. Is that, is it Fountains of Wayne? Who does that song? No, it's, um, I do know that they punched the lead singer of the White Stripes in the face. It's the Dandy Warhols. The Dandy Warhols. That's who it is. Yes. Yes. Okay. A long time ago. I'm not, I will not sing it, okay. but all I right. love it. Yes. So, um, I have never seen an episode of Veronica Mars until about 48 hours ago. And um, so my, my pop culture thing is, for one, I just, I, I really love it. Like, it's, it's silly and completely unrealistic. And now it's so very dated, which is not even that old as far as, like, television shows go, you know, right? Like, um, I think it's premiered in 2004. Does that sound right? That um, sounds very right. And I mean, so that's not that long ago, right? Um, but it just feels very like a time I would say in, in TV years, that is really old. I don't know. Like people are still watching Friends and like I've been right. I, you know, I'm a ghostwriter. They're having me talk about like the Dick Van Dyke show and like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess it's fair then, yeah. I guess it just depends on the TV show. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I would not be surprised if Veronica Mars. Does it, so are you saying that it does hold up or does it feel dated? Well, so actually the thing I wanted to talk about as my pop culture thing is how like this show should be nostalgic for me, right? Like I, if I had watched it when it premiered, I would have been. You are one year graduated from high school. Right. Or right. two years. One year, one year. I graduated in 2003. Yeah. So I would, I am about the age of the protagonist in the show, right? Like just slightly older than them. And, um, then, I mean, I think. I think I'm younger than Kristen Bell. So like the age of the actors as well. And so like, if I had watched this when it had premiered, this would have been like a touchstone of some kind. Right. But instead Mm -hmm. I'm watching it, you know, removed and it's just, it's a really bizarre feeling. Like it's almost like some kind of whiplash. Right. Cause like they're all on their, like, she's very gadgety and and uh tech heavy and and clever but like all the things they're doing are so outdated as far as the technology and it's just this uh like you know one of I've only watched like four episodes but one of the ones that I watched they were in like this this gaming cafe (laughs) (laughs) that's cool cool bro And, and, um, she, she got the, the bad guy to out himself by, by logging in on this gaming cafe and then shooting at him because she was on his team. So when he started yelling out at her, like, I'm on your team. And then she could tell who he was because she, before she only had a screen name. So that's how she figured out who it was. And I mean, so there's all these little like weird technological and cultural touchstones that are just so out of place. Um, you would never play a game in the same room as someone, you maniac. <laughs> <laughs> Not 
not strangers. Um, so yeah, I don't, and, and I just, I'm having a lot of fun with this kind of disconnected nostalgia because I don't actually have nostalgia for the show, right? But it is kind of still but it's touching. the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's touching on that sort of nostalgic, like, zeitgeist, I guess, of the early 2000s. And it's it's fun and enjoyable. And that's amazing. Oh, I want to find a show like that that I haven't watched that would do that. Because that you described it as like whiplash. Yeah. But like it yeah. sounds like whiplash you get like from a roller coaster. Yes, not like, like from a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> roller coaster whiplash, not car crash whiplash. Oh, that's so fun. Well, my pop culture is also TV related. I have been, I told Michelle before we started, I've been saving this one. Um, buckle up, buckle up kids and apologies in advance because <laughs> I am going to talk about TV and I'm going to try to do it succinctly, but, but this is something I have had. Um, we talked about how we have notes for the show. This is something I've had since day one, since we knew we were going to do this podcast. This has been a topic I wanted to talk about, but it was just too unwieldy and too uninteresting to anyone who isn't me. But, but now is, we've hooked you in and you can't, we, we know that you're going to stay with us and sh- there's grab bags. forward, Michelle. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> or sh- to me, I guess. Um, but no. it's, and- the tenth, it's the 10th episode. I'm going to celebrate the essence of this podcast, which is me getting to talk to you, Michelle, and everyone who's listening and fill you in on myself a little more, which is those that know me know that I watch. How much TV would you say I watch, Michelle? All of it. When you All said, of it. When you said, I'm going to find a show like Veronica Mars that I haven't seen, I was like, well, this should be interesting. Can't because- do it. Oh, I did. I did find one that gave me cultural whiplash. And it was um, Newlyweds with Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey. Oh, see, I, mean? I'm, I have missed almost all of the reality TV. Like, I have seen almost no, no reality TV except for, like, Chopped and The Prophet. I love The Prophet. And I'm mad that you I You talked me into watching The Prophet, yeah. <laughs> so I've seen that. And now I have seen all of Newlyweds. And that's largely in part because I do really – I. I'll just say it. I loved Jessica Simpson's autobiography. I loved it. And I will move on. So this is a topic. um, And yes, something I do sometimes to do like introductions and classes when we do that is, you know, I love TV and art history can get kind of bougie. Art history can get kind of not dry, but so I I started off by um, I challenge my students to name a TV show I have not seen. And really, they have not been able to. Yet. <laughs> so, I would feel very challenged by that challenge. I would, I would, yeah. So I watch a lot of TV and and apologies to everyone who might be listening to this. That like, I am supposed to, I owe anything to. But oh, I, I make time. Catherine make is so, time. she says that. She is so on top of things. She gets, she's, yes. This is, I make the time for both. Um, so... Something I've been thinking about is I heard on a podcast, What a Day podcast, which I mentioned before, that they said that there is a difference between stupid shows and shows for stupid people. 
And it's a very important distinction. And I think it's mean. I don't want to say that, like, I don't want to call people stupid. But this is something I've been thinking about. Because I watch everything. There's no show that I will not watch at least the first episode of. Period. But then there are shows that I find unwatchable past that. And so I've been thinking about what is a stupid show versus a show for stupid people because man, my family especially makes fun of me. They're like, you have a PhD and yet you will lay on the couch and watch The Floor is Lava every episode in a row. What's wrong with you? So I've been thinking about how to categorize. I like reality TV. So And yes. Can, can I, so is this, on this hierarchy here, it is better to be a stupid show than a yes. show for stupid, right? Like yes. a stupid show has some redeeming qualities. A that, stupid show is a beautiful thing. That is not, not a reflection on like the character of its viewers necessarily. And it is fulfilling a need. Whereas a show yes. for stupid people has been designed to cater to this. Not even, let's just, let's put it this way. It's been designed not even to cater to people, but right, to cater to large groups of demographics, right? It's so like made for people. It's you didn't made even, for demographic target audiences. Yeah. So when you say it's a show for stupid people, what you really mean is it's a show for like imaginary people. Like it's it's a show for the, the it's largest, a show made the largest by common denominators. It's a show made by like executives who think people are stupid. Did you know, I'm sorry, I'm cutting, I'm going to make this, this thing even longer, but I was just um, researching that Doogie Howser, you know how that, that is where Neil Patrick Harris like got his start. Um, the executives were so against him being cast that they were not going to let the show run. And the, um, the show's creator and producer basically called their bluff and they're like, we're making the pilot with them anyway. We, we, we did testing for like, we tried to find so many people to cast in this role and we had to have somebody that could be, seem smart enough to be a doctor, but also seem cool enough to be a regular kid. And he is the only one and we're doing the pilot anyway. And they did the pilot and the executives were like, we hate this. We hate this kid. This show, we're not going to do the show, but they, but they ran it to test audiences and the audiences loved it. And so they had to run it, but the executives were like, this is, we hate Why this did show. they hate them? They just hated him. They were not. But that's they were a not perfect on example, right? So thank you, Michelle, for helping me further clarify what's been itching my brain, which is it's not for stupid people. It's just made for no by one. executives who don't yeah. know, who think people are stupid, or you're like, here, piggies, eat this garbage. Because it makes us rich. And that yes. is different than stupid shows, made which for real are people. one of the many loves of my life. I got it. I'm with um, you. So... For, but that's not where my categorization ends. Oh, this is a, this is a board of crazy. So, um, so first I will say, like, have you heard of ultimate tag? No. <laughs> um, Do they play tag? Ultimately. <laughs> ultimate tag has the aesthetics of um, the glad, what was the gladiator show? Oh, back? like the Ninja Warrior no, no, um, American Gladiator, right? Okay, yes. Back in yes. the 90s? Yes, okay. So it's like that where they were like, here are the gladiators. This one's Cobra. This one's the giantess. Um, and they do that. It's 
so dated in a weird way. This is a show that came out last year. Oh, okay. And um, so they have the professional taggers and they have these characters like the surfer dude, the mountain, the nerd. Um, and I don't know what makes you a professional tagger. It's, uh, it seems to be you're good at parkour. Okay. And so they have this whole setup it's hosted by the Watts brothers. They do a, a they do sport of some sort. They're these three brothers. They all look pretty similar. And I know that they're all sports professionals. And basically, um, not professional athletes just play tag with these maybe professional parkour athletes. What, what and is it? it is, like who's getting uh, paid to do parkour? I don't, I'm just curious well, about only the people that go on. This is how you get paid, I guess. I guess. To go on Ultimate Tag. The only good thing, the show is unwatchable. It's unwatchable. I watched I watched the whole, and that is to say I watched the whole first season. That's how much I watched TV. But I do like the Watts Brothers. Um, the catchphrase of the show is just, let's play some tag. <laughs> let's play some tag. Well, one I'm torn about is one called I Can See Your Voice. And that is where a do show. You, where do you, where, where, like, who is running these shows? Where are you finding these? I don't even know. It's all, I'm going to just say it's all, it's all illegal streaming. And if but I are like these show, available on like, I mean, is this network television? Oh yeah. Ultimate like, Tag is network. Okay. I can see your voice is network. I can see your voice. I'm going to, I think it is a show for stupid people. I can't watch it anymore. Um, and that's basically a show in which there are good singers and there are bad singers, but everyone lip syncs and the good singers lip sync to their own voices and the bad singers lip sync to other people's voices. And then there's a contestant who has to guess purely based on visuals, who's a good singer and who's a bad singer. That's like judge a book by its cover is what this show is called. So as you're talking about, it's just making me think that there's some poor committee of people that like these executives are coming they're like, you need to give us a good idea. This is it. This is your last chance. They're like, we can have people lip sync and some people, of them could be like <laughs> karaoke school, but that's already a thing. Um, no, exactly. Shows for stupid people are The Masked Dancer, Ultimate Tag, I Can See Your Voice. They're just now, trying to make some money. Money grab. Money no. grab. Yes. Okay. Stupid shows would be Holy Moly, which is a professional mini golf <laughs> show. Oh. But it knows. Like, where does this, where is this airing? Is this, is this network too? Network television. What is happening? Network, network television. television. Um, it is, it has two seasons. It is. So good. It knows exactly what it is. It's very campy. It's very, very tongue in cheek. Um, and basically it's hosted by among other people like Rob Riggle, who's very good about being campy. And also Stefan Curry, who is really funny on it. And one of the challenges is that you have to choose between letting a robot putt for you or Stefan Curry putt for you. So it's like that level of funny. Um, the Floor is Lava. I have seen that one. 
a My, stupid uh, show. Ayla, who is just here, she loves The Floor is Lava. Ayla is um, someone I share a lot of television taste with. <laughs> we like Disney Descendants, both of us. To be fair, she's a pretty cool 10-year-old, so you have that <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't say her age. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 10-year-old and I. She is a very cool 10-year-old, though. Um, and then The Masked Singer is a stupid show. So I'm going but it's to it's becoming it a show. So The Masked Singer is a stupid show becoming a show for stupid people. And that's, that's the problem with it. People. Not yet, but. You can see the transition. You there. can see the influence of those greedy execs over the creative team. Yeah. yeah. That's sad. I will say that there are other um, countries doing it. Um, Masked Singer UK is amazing. I'm going to try to edit this down. But that is not even the point I want to make with pop culture. The point I want to make is there's a different category of show that is so special. It it defies those categories. These are not stupid shows. These are not shows for stupid people. These are shows that I will fight to the death for. These are shows, even though they are reality shows, I watch again and again and again on repeat. Um, I have snuck them into my course material when I teach at the university level. And... I just love them. And they are fully immersive reality shows. What do I mean by fully immersive reality shows? What do you mean by fully immersive reality shows? (laughs) What I mean is it's a reality show, right? It's unscripted, but also competitive. So there are contestants who previously don't know each other. They've come on. They are competing for money. It's not, for, not, not to get married, not to, not to get none, many, just, not for love. We're, we're straight. For, we know what we're here for. This is a reality. This is a competition. I'm they're here. always for money. Okay. And um, yeah, so that kind of show. And, but, but the twist is that they are totally immersed in a genre and that genre varies. There are not enough of these shows. And I'm going to list some of the best and explain them to help you understand what the fully immersive reality show is. The first, and I teach Abigail Solomon Godot's amazing book, Male Trouble, through this show, is called Bromans. That is Romans with a B, Bromans. It is a British show. And the contestants compete against each other in ancient Rome-themed physical challenges. Their girlfriends join them to provide support and compete in their own contest. The winning gladiator receives 10,000 pounds. The gladiators are overseen by the emperor's right-hand man, Dominus. And um, there is an emperor. And every week there's different kinds of contests. But they live there and it's a it's a fully built out set that looks like ancient Rome and they make them wear ancient Roman costumes and all the challenges are based on that. And they go through gladiator training and the final challenge is a gladiator battle. Watching British chavvy bros do this and fall in and out of character and sometimes forget is amazing. Then, because I know I'm going on long, if you have questions, though, feel free. (laughs) The next one is called The Quest. 
This is a fantasy show, like um, like uh, like Game of Thrones style kind of fantasy. Okay. And this one, the reason why I don't think there are a lot of these shows is that it's really expensive. I mean, it sounds like you have to create this whole set and they create costumes a whole set, and-, and it's so immersive that they have, um, like, they have actors being right the emperor, being their gladiator training. The quest has an entire medieval village with background actors. That so they it's can like. Just- it's like, like a contestants like compete like um Dungeons and with. Dragons game, but with like the magic of Hollywood behind it to bring it to life kind of thing. Yeah. And then they decided to make a reality show with it, right? Basically it's like road rules, but here. So the quest is interesting. One of the ways they tried to make it cheaper was it was all filmed in Vienna, Austria. And so it's very clear that most of the people the background actors are like, what's going on? What is this? We don't know. Um, and so the contestants in the quest, they face a variety of fantasy theme challenges in the fictional kingdom of Everrealm. And they are called paladins. That's how the contestants are referred to. And they are searching for the sun spear. And oh my God, it's wild. It's wild. And um the, just the people on this, this they have, this is, the show came out kind of when LARPing was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And these people, they need this. They need this escapism. And they start them right off. Basically, they're like in their street clothes. They're walking. Clearly, they've told them, okay, let's walk to set. And the show starts off with their, their like guide going, oh, no, get down, get down. And they have these really well done horrific monsters ride by on horses and the contestants freak out and immediately the actor who's supposed to be in charge of them loses control they're out in the woods of vienna and everyone freaks the fuck out they they're like we have to cover at some point someone's like we have to cover ourselves with mud to hide the actor in charge of them is clearly like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, please don't do that. But they do. They roll around <laughs> in the mud. And so they get to the set just covered in mud. They're not supposed to be. Um, they didn't like, it's an open world. And they didn't think that these people would get so immersed in it that they do their own thing. And so the quest is cool because at every point, they clearly thought they will play the game this way. And then they did. They treat it like an open world thing and they're testing everything and it's driving their handlers crazy. (laughs) Now, again, 10th episode, I apologize. But the king of all immersive reality shows. It's what we've been building towards. Here we go. If I got, if someone handed me a million dollars, I'd be very tempted to spend it wisely. I would be tempted to give it to charity. I think I would be most strongly tempted to reboot this show as a celebrity version of this show. I genuinely in my heart don't know if you gave me money, I wouldn't go after that because I love it so much. This show is called Who Done It. And this, the genre, is murder mystery, which fits in well with six minutes. That's it a mystery. Does. Um who done it? Again, these contestants who are just normal people off the street come in 
In each episode, the competitors witness a murder staged by production committed secretly by one of their numbers. So one of the contestants is an actor who is playing the murderer. And they're instructed to find clues to how the murder was done. And then they need to try to find the identity of the murderer over the course of the show. And whoever does the worst gets sent home. But they don't get sent home. They're the one murdered next. And it becomes very weird because one of the aspects of the show in figuring out the murder is that you investigate the morgue and where the contestant has to lay there in full like FX costume makeup in how they died. It's so weird. And so again, the contestants get very lost in what's real and what's not. And they say crazy lines like, I don't wanna die. I'm so afraid of dying. I have to figure this puzzle out or I will be murdered. And it gets to the point where you're like, honey, do you know you will not be killed? <laughs> I am worried for your mental health and safety. Well, maybe they know something you don't. And this show was, you know, like the... <laughs> that brings me up to one of my favorite details of this. In the first episode, they have the person get murdered. The show ends. Clearly, clearly, they got a lot of calls. Because in every other episode, it ends with the actor who died having a little talk in their How They Died makeup. Being like, I'm okay. I'm not this dead. This is fun to I'm do. Just, just going to lay in the morgue. It's cool. It's really okay. And you just know it's because people were like, is this show killing people? You know, I have to, I have to say, we, you can edit this out if you want, that we were ahead of the game on this because when you did your eighth grade NYPD Moo movie, I was the dead body. And at the end of the show, I waved from underneath the sheet to let them know that I wasn't really dead. Well, that is absolutely not getting edited out. <laughs> I love that. Maybe that's why I'm so drawn to whodunit. Yeah. Also, yes, everyone, Michelle and I in what grade? It was your eighth grade year, my eighth seventh grade, grade year. Your seventh grade. We we did. We did film for a class a um, short movie called NYPD Moo. It was set it's on, on um, Catherine's farm where we had access to cows and a pig and her dad voiced the pig. It was it was very well done. Um, I wouldn't say that my dad helped a lot with yes, that. Yes, he was clearly having a blast with it. We um, I was the dead body. I was, I was multiple characters, but I was the dead body and we were in our small town in the parking lot of a, a crumbly burger. <laughs> crumbly just- bur- That's how, here's two ways, you know, our town was very small. <laughs> crumbly burger was the major fast food place. And that was not the only time Michelle played multiple roles in a school production. No, <laughs> oh, gosh, I was, <laughs> I was the nurse and Romeo, yeah, tell tell everyone who you were in our in our school production of Romeo our, and Juliet. Our school production of Romeo and Juliet. I was the nurse and Tybalt and Friar Lawrence. <laughs> but you were only the voice of Friar Lawrence. Friar Lawrence was played by a vacuum that we pushed around. Yes. Yes. 
Um, because I we couldn't decided it was too confusing. I to couldn't have get out people. of the costumes to change fast enough. So, but I could run off stage and be the voice as the vacuum was pushed around dressed up as Friar Lawrence. We dressed a vacuum cleaner up like Friar Lawrence and Michelle voiced him off stage. Oh. Meanwhile, and- I was, I was Juliet. That's it. Yeah. I, um, I often imagine what that play was like to watch <laughs> from the audience because we had an amazing time. Um, and, it was the best. But very much like the people that you're talking about in these shows where they just ran away and their handlers were like, what is happening? I, this was this was in our, our, our gifted program, and I'm sure that our instructor was like, why is there a vacuum? What is happening? <laughs> but, you know, like – we were, we were so excited about it. And now as an educator, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand in the way of a kid who's that excited about dressing up their vacuum and learning these lines and reading Like I would let them have it, but I'm sure that our parents sitting in that audience. (laughs) (laughs) What did they think? Part of the problem was also our Romeo got hit by a car like a week before. Yeah. We couldn't read. There was no way to relearn all those lines. It was a, it was a challenge that we had to to deal we with. rose he's okay he, he recovered he still played romeo just hobbling yeah and we yeah. needed to rework some things it was fine it was fine no that's all staying in and i don't care how long this episode is <laughs> i still am very proud of that vacuum cleaner and it your was. role as the nurse and tybalt and the Friar voice yep. of Friar Lawrence. Yep. i was all right. So that is to say, who done it is um, the king of fully immersive reality TV. My final category that I want to introduce is um, just very our shows that you know. There's the thing that it's so bad it's good, but lately I found a new category that has defied me until I thought of um, the Monty Python sketched Confuse a Cat, and these are the human equivalent of Confuse a Cat that they are so confusing. That when the big board executives conceived them, it had so many notes from so many dozens of people that it is just not coherent as a show. And to watch it is to be that cat on Monty Python. It's just like the screen opens, here's a mouse, now it's closed. And I just constantly find myself going, but what? That's probably how our parents watched our Romeo and Juliet. That's exactly, exactly. So, um, I won't go into that too much just to say that I will watch the whole season of the show just because my it's like it's like a Rubik's cube it's like, like an interesting there has puzzle to be an for answer. my brain someone it someone is doing sense. something there that makes sense there's something i'm missing and that show is um <laughs> i'm so embarrassed that show is called Candyland it's on the Food Network i had to write it, about that show you did yes it sounded absolutely absurd <laughs> it is bashit um, it's hosted by Kristen chenoweth it just doesn't make any sense to me they keep changing the rules the the um research that i did said that chenoweth was the perfect person for it though because she just rolls absolutely it's just like oh, all right <laughs> absolutely absolutely but i will watch every episode that ever airs of that show and i know it in my heart finally the other confuse cat show um which is almost within the immersive reality is an old show that I didn't think about until tonight called Branson famous. 
that's billed as the first ever reality musical. How do you have a reality musical? How? So it is a reality show. It follows the Mabe family. They own Bald Knobbers, Bald Knobbers Jamboree in Branson, Missouri. Um, anyone not familiar with Branson, it's it's like Dollywood in a way, but it's just a... Oh, it's not like... No. Take oh, that sorry. back. <laughs> Don't insult Dollywood like that. I'm sorry to Dolly and all the woods. Um, <laughs> but it's... It's, it's it's like the theme parky. It's a Midwestern theme parky. There's singing. Yeah. The word jamboree embodies. You know, there's Branson. theater and food and it's where people go on vacation. Well, we'll just say that the biggest attraction is bald knobbers jamboree. And that says a lot. Um, and so the Mabe family who runs that, this show is a reality show that follows them, right? Just like any reality show, like keeping up with the Kardashians, like how they follow them. If every seven minutes, the Kardashians, instead of having a confessional, in their confessional, they sang. Okay. A fully formed musical number. Like that's about what's going on in their lives? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely get what you say. Like how, like probably someone brought this idea forward in a way that made sense. And then it just got away from them. Right. Like that. Yeah. This, yeah. And so those shows are very special. And then if you can find those, they're just like, what, what, what? Um, I very much apologize for how long that is, but I have given you a wealth that is that is the best of the best of my television of decades of watching too much TV. And you have some homework to do folks. That's your homework. And Disney plus is rebooting the quest. And it's Disney money behind it. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who just listened to that because I needed I needed to let the world know. And, and now you have a lot to think about, listeners. Okay, research. Research. My research thing is pretty quick. Um, <laughs> it is about the fact that there is a quote-unquote zone of death in Yellowstone National Park where murder is legal. What? The end. Moving on. No. Um. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> no. Um. I'm gonna go for it. <gasps> Michelle. What if celebrity who done it in Was the league set murder in the, zone? In the zone of death. Oh. And they don't have to show the people at the end in their makeup. Yeah. No. Well, we uh, wouldn't want them to show them at the end. That'd be grisly. <laughs> so. The problem is, is that the, <laughs> the problem, the problem is that within Yellowstone, there is about, a, I think it's 50 square miles. Let me double check this. So I'm making sure I'm telling you the accurate information in case a 50 square mile stretch that um, spills over the Idaho border. So, you know, it's in Wyoming, but this part spills over into Idaho. And because of that, 
there is no jurisdiction for this particular stretch of land. So if someone committed a murder within this 50 square mile radius and then was being tried for that murder, they would be able to call upon their Sixth Amendment rights and they could not get together a jury because the only jury that would be able to oversee this particular case would be people who live in both Idaho and fall under Wyoming's federal jurisdiction, which does not exist. So there would be no jury to hear this murder trial. And so the crime that you commit in this uh, death zone, the zone of death, would not be able to be tried constitutionally. And so the person who discovered this, discovered it all the way back in 2005, his name is Brian Kalt, and he is a law professor at Michigan State University. And when he discovered this, he was like, oh, this is a problem. So he wrote this paper called The Perfect Crime, and being the ethical man that he is, maybe it's because, you know, lawyers are supposed to be held to these ethical standards where they might get disbarred. First, first thing we do, we kill all the lawyers, bringing it back to Shakespeare. <laughs> But he was like, oh, I can't publish this without first letting the legislation know about this because I don't want a bunch of murders on my hands. <gasps> so he told them, he, he published it, like he, he sent copies to various government authorities and said, hey, this loophole exists. I'm about to publish this paper. I'm about so to blow people, it up. Everybody's going to know about, and they just didn't do anything. Like nothing happened. They did nothing. So he published his journal in the Georgetown Law Journal. And um, then in 2008, it was used as inspiration for the novel Free Fire by an author named C.J. Box. So that gave it even more reach. And then it was later turned into the concept for a 2016 horror film called Population Zero. And so like this idea has been out there since 2005. And all of these different like, you know, it's, we've had different Congresses since then. We've had all, and like, they keep thinking like, okay, somebody's going to do something about this. Somebody's going to fix it. And every time they're like, we just don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> and and um, at one point there, there was a theory that they were afraid that by like splitting it into the twos, because part of it is in the, the ninth district and part of it is in the 10th. So they were afraid that it might let people like shop around uh, cases that might have environmentalist concerns and that they might mm. they might stick it into the I think the 10th district is a little more uh, liberal when it comes to the environmental concerns but they were like but you could just put it in the ninth and then like you could just write it so that all of it's in the ninth and then that wouldn't be a problem either so really what the answer is is just that um, this is cult talking about it they have a lot of more important things to worry about. Of course they aren't fixing those things either but I need to be <laughs> realistic here and so they're just they're just not going to do anything about it. They're just, it's Wait, just, Has anybody, do we know if anyone's done a crime there? I don't. I mean, at this point, I don't know if anybody would even bring charges against them because like, I don't know, but I, I have not heard of any crimes actually being committed there. Uh, it is a very remote location, which I will also add that I was reading the um, Atlas Obscura, which is like the blog that just tells you about weird places. Um, and, and they always have a little know before you go section and so for this entry, they have the know before you go and they put the GPS coordinates. And I'm like, are you like advising people to prep for their, their murder trip? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Man. Uh, um, yeah. So the zone it's of death. Any crime. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have to be. I think it's not just murder or does that have to be like a federal crime? I think it has to be a federal crime because that's what puts it into this 
they haven't done anything. Well, and then a lot of people were like, were like, well, we don't think it would, you know, nobody would actually say that. And then like the, the scholars like, it's in the constitution. You can't not say it. Like it's a constitutional right. And so just the fact that they're so flippant about something that is written in the constitution um, maybe shouldn't be as shocking to us. Oh, uh, so. yeah. Merp, merp. So that's, that's my, interesting that's that it's caught the public imagination so much that it's yeah. been book, television, I mean, movie. Soon Oof. to be television. Yeah, soon, soon. I'm work, I'll work on it. Let's see if I can write a grant or something. Hmm, let's get some seed grant money. We have the seed grant money for diamonds. Now we need seed grant money for... So my research, bear with me, it might seem like a weird thing at first. And um, thank you to my father for telling me this weird thing. And I don't um, know where he heard it. I told someone else this today and they've also heard it. So I think this might be public knowledge. Fine. I didn't know. And so I, but I did a lot of research. So it's why it's not a weird thing. What do you know about wombats, Michelle? Not much. They're very cute. They're cute. They're, They're larger than you would think. Are they, they the are ones not. that look like they're smiling? No, those are that starts with the K. What is that thing that always looks like it's smiling? I don't know. Let it. We'll turn this around. If anyone knows a K animal that always looks like it's smiling, <laughs> or if you figure it out, jump in. So wombats, um, very very cute. They are much bigger than they look. They poop a hundred. Oh, you did tell cubes. us it was going to be about poop. They poop a hundred cubes a day. Yeah, Michelle, I said cubes. That's a hundred six-sided poops a day. They poop cubes? They poop cubes. What's going on um, in their innards? What is that? What is that digestive system? Is this the research? This is what I did a lot of research on. <laughs> Thank you for asking why they poop cubes. And I encourage everyone to look it up. It's not gross. It's like it's you a know, cute little cube, a, like a little compact. Like we, like we said, I grew up on a cattle farm, so like animal poop that's super fibrous does not gross me out. My brothers and I threw frozen cow poop at each other for fun in the winter, so to me, this image is definitely not gross. But it's a very, um, you know, green fibrous poop. But it is a very well shaped cube, and so of course, of course, I want to know. Why? How? What's going up in there? What's happening in your guts, little little buddies? Big buddies. They're big. So their intestines have special elasticized grooves. Most mammals' intestines have like wave-like peristalsis of their intestinal muscles, um, which move pretty fast. So things they go through. Things move along. Move things move along. And they don't have a lot of time or reason to be formed into specific shapes. They just come out the way they come out. We know. Um, but wombats squeeze their intestines much slower. They don't have that peristalsis wave-like movement. It squeezes slower and harder. And it's like a very stiff rubber band except for those elasticized grooves 
And that molds the corners into a perfect cube. So that's the how. Fascinating. That's the how. Okay. But there still remains the very fascinating why. Why do they have cube poop? Yeah. What, what like evolutionary, are they, is this the only creature that has cube poop to our knowledge? Yeah. To our, to our knowledge. The best that scientists have come up with is that um, wombats, they're fairly territorial. They dig burrows pretty deep underground. Those span for miles. They're very complicated. But wombats also live on rocky terrain. And they communicate a lot by marking their territory. And they do that with their poop. Okay. And they need their poop to not roll off the rocks. (laughs) So then, like from evolutionary from an evolutionary perspective, then it wouldn't have been that all wombats, like they probably had intestines much more like other mammals. Maybe they didn't have those little but those o- two grooves. But the ones that had the cubiest poop were the fittest for the environment because they got to mark their territory most effectively and therefore produce more prolifically. And, and so the poop stayed on the rocks, and so they stayed on this world. So. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is, that is cool. I'm going to. My, oh, oh, that's a quokka. It's a quokka. Michelle just showed me the K animal. It's not a K. It's smiling. a Q. It's a Q-U. Um, that is a quokka. Oh my gosh. Everyone just spend your day watching. This is what I'm going to tell you to do. Watch all the TV shows I told you and Google image search Australian animals. Because Michelle, My poop research did not end there. Okay, of course Um, not. How could you let it stop at that point? Of course not. I was like, a hundred times a day is a lot of poop. At least in my human mind. I do not poop a hundred times a day. No, that would be, I mean, that would be a problem. Even when I'm very nervous. So, (laughs) koalas... You're laughing at me, but it's a thing sometimes. No, no, it's totally a thing. I'm, I have to present a conference paper. It's too much information. But um, koalas poop 150 times a day. Do they get to do anything else? I mean, that feels well, like that's most of the day. Right? They sleep like 20 hours, but they can poop in their sleep. I was going to say they have to be pooping in their sleep then. Definitely. They do. Um, they are related to wombats. <laughs> this is something I already knew, but I learned more because I am, koalas are cute, but I want the world to know, and I've told most people in my life this at some point, that koalas might be cute, but they, 90% of koalas have chlamydia. That makes them incontinent and they are soaked in their own urine and they smell very bad because of it. My second favorite fun fact about the grossness of koalas is that baby koalas eat their mother's poop. That's what they live on for the first few months of their life. Well, I mean, if she's doing it 150 times a day, <laughs> that's probably just all they've got available to them, right? Yeah, it's probably, yeah, exactly. So it's not just any poop. It's a very specially made extra wet kind of poop called pap. And according to Carolyn Monroe, the main koala keeper at Sydney, Australia's wildlife zoo, quote, it can look really disgusting because the joeys and baby koalas are called joeys as are baby kangaroos because the joeys use their mouth 
to stimulate the mother's cloaca to produce the pap. And it's quite wet. It gets everywhere. So do they not, because, I mean, do they not nurse or is this like after nursing? They, um, because they're marsupials, they they live in the pouch. Right, right, right. And then they come out, go, go roundabouts to the back and, and suck on the cloaca. We'll say That's how we'll we'll say it nicely. So there aren't. Cloaca. They don't have, they don't have nipples. They don't lactate at all. There's no, there's no part. I don't know. Okay. That I cannot answer because my research was all poop based. Kangaroos do, correct? Kangaroos are yeah, marsupials. Kangaroos nurse that, and have nipples, definitely. Yeah. They do, and they do it in the pouch too. Yeah, yeah. But um, so maybe this is after when they're out of the pouch. When they get older. Yeah. I, I mean, I I'll just would to, think it would be really interesting for there to be a mammal that had switched. Yeah, that did, that was just all poop based. Yeah. So I apologize to everyone that my research is only poop-based, but I don't think that this mammal is purely poop-based. Like any good researcher, you say that's a good question for future research. It's a good research. question, Michelle. You go find that out. <laughs> so why do they eat this poop? Why? Is it because their mothers are pooping so much? Not necessarily. Well, no, because it's a special poop, so that doesn't explain it's a it. Very, it's a very messy, very special poop. The pap is so that they can get their gut biome Right. We all know at this point how important gut biome is. Yeah. I mean, they do fecal transplants for humans. Like, to, oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to get to fecal transplants. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10th episode, Catherine screams, fecal transplants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so they get their gut biome right. Koalas are really interesting. And part of the reason they're endangered is they only eat eucalyptus. That's it. That's all they eat. They barely even drink any water. Right. Does a koala um, mean no drink? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> My daughter told me that. So I'm sure she's probably true. They, I think I read that they subsist only on eucalyptus. And eucalyptus is incredibly hard to digest. It's all they eat. And, and it is so important for the babies to get this path that if to get their gut biome right, that like if they don't get it, if a baby koala is orphaned and they can't eat it, they will die of starvation because they can't digest the eucalyptus. Wow. I know. So at zoos and things or at wildlife sanctuaries, if a baby koala is orphaned, the keepers have to go collect pap from other koalas and force feed the pap to the babies so that they don't die. So does that mean that like, how did they get so specially right? designed to eat this one thing that they're not even naturally able to eat? Like, isn't that just a really strange evolutionary? It's really screwing them over now. Again, my expertise is in poop. So I encourage everyone else to do their own research in the evolution of koalas. But um, it's a great question because koalas are becoming increasingly endangered, there's been a lot of bushfires in Australia. And yeah, even, I saw the video even, of the person like saving the one. Oh, it was it made me cry. Yes. Even before that, right, their their natural habitats have been being deforested, have been being um destroyed. Koalas may need going forward fecal transplants to survive. Well, and at it, least the technology exists. The so. technology exists. 
This is really interesting because um, they only eat eucalyptus, but there are just hundreds of varieties of eucalyptus. And so most koalas eat managum eucalyptus. And there have been places in Australia where the koalas come in and they eat all the managum because there's not a lot left of it. And then they eat it all, there's none left and they die of starvation. And, and um, scientists noticed this, that they would do this even in areas that had other kinds of eucalyptus like messmate eucalyptus. Messmate eucalyptus is a lot more readily available. So they're like, there's other eucalyptus, they could eat this, but they're dying of starvation once they run out of this other kind of eucalyptus. Um, and some koalas do eat messmate eucalyptus. And so they studied the gut biome and they have different gut biomes. And so they think that if they can give fecal transplants of the messmate eating eucalyptus koalas, the monogam eating eucalyptus koalas can be able to eat that other kind of eucalyptus and then it won't starve to death. Or to be the cynic, there'll be more competition for the other koalas. Oh yeah. (laughs) Maybe we need to eventually introduce some other (laughs) food. Are you telling me the world's problems can't be solved with poop? I mean, I just feel like we might need other kinds of poop that we might we might have to expand our poop database in order to <laughs> solve this problem. Well, we know what we do with the data. We'll just gain the system. Oh my! I almost that was almost my research thing again today because I'm reading this book. I'll save it. Never mind. Save it. I'll, I'll I save I it. think this is. I hope everyone. I think this has been gold, but <laughs> it has been long. So I will stop there. Um, but I just went down quite the wombat burrow about Australian animal poop. Poop. Yep. Which then let's just recap here with what we have to tie together. So we have from it's been so long. our weird thing, how not intuitive my Mac is to me and... Um, how the artist I wrote a book on is modeling now, which kind of intertwined with how the artist and author and illustrator Chanel Miller was unknown to me as Emily Doe in the Stanford rape trial. Our pop culture thing featured our very first grab bag where Ayla shared with us the six minutes podcast. And then I talked about recently finding Veronica Mars and having a bizarre kind of whiplash experience since it was nostalgic, even though I had never seen it before. And then I talked and talked and talked about how much I love TV and the categorizations of stupid shows versus shows for stupid people, immersive fantasy reality shows and confuse a cat shows in the research area i talked about the zone of death in yellowstone and And i talked about australian animal okay i um i feel pretty (laughs) confident that this is our hardest connection yet we say it every week and we up the ante every week okay um I don't even, I, do, I don't know where to start. Okay. Well, we both, <laughs> we both talked about television. We did. And we both talked 
<laughs> okay. Um, failure to adapt could fit with my Mac not being <gasps> very intuitive and the koala poop. Oh, Michelle, you do it every time. But failure to adapt, I think, does that fit in how, in my weird thing, we found these people to be thriving because of how they made space in the world for their adapting. Okay. Okay. So maybe it's not just failure to adapt, but it's it's failures and successes. So adaptation is the overall okay. thing. And Adaptation, but that's not a fortune cookie. If I opened no, up a fortune no, cookie and it said but, adaptation, I'd say. But, but we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. we're right? getting there. Because I think the Six Minutes podcast is an adaptation in how especially 10-year-olds consume their entertainment because they've distilled this obviously very long story down into six-minute bites that she's – listening to for hours and hours and hours upon time. But if it was, if you had said, Hey, here's a 30 hour audio book, she wouldn't have signed up for it. But if you tell her here's multiple seasons of this six minute podcast, she's all about it. I loved what she said about, well, if one episode is bad or you don't like it, don't worry, there'll be another one. And something about that just seemed at least for her more. Doable. If there's a part of a book you don't like, then you don't like that book. But for a six-minute podcast, well, that's that's the episode. It's you don't just like. one little episode. You go on to the next one. Yeah. So it's yeah. This, this adaptation of how we consume is a that kind of mystery seems that's as old as time, but yeah. that's a very new yeah. adaptation of how to do it. Um, and then we talked about the adaptation. How my thing on television shows, all those categorizations came from how much change and adapting and hand in it did the networks have or not. And most of them are mashups of them being like, this was successful here and this was successful here. Let's try to cram them together and see if they're successful together. But then the ones that are successful, the ones who make it into the fully immersive reality TV category, they were able to adapt beyond that into something like they weren't just a Frankenstein kind of. Yeah. The ones I love the most are the ones that like, yeah, this open world idea where it just goes wrong, but that makes it um, really and good. The zone of death, the legislators are failing. Uh, adapting. <laughs> Adapt to the fact that this knowledge is now out there and that there's this huge legal loophole. That And yet, as far as we know, no one is adapting in the other direction to go just make this like, the purge area there. I no mean, one set up some weird um I'll tell you this man kill fest. I'm not going there to find out. So it could be happening. Okay, that's a good point. Good good adaptive skills. <laughs> Stay alive. And then obviously the the adaptation of the poop is that's all about adaptation. Yeah, right? that's evolution. That's, entire, that's yeah. adapting. So, okay. So the fortune cookie that we open up, it has to have the word adaptation in it, but what about it? What is the like, um, I, I think so. it's like adaptation, adaptation may take a form you don't expect. Maybe. I know this is a hard one, Michelle, All right, but I feel okay. I like that, but I'm going to call cop out. All right. All right. Your turn, then. I know. <laughs> I can't just be like, so give me the other one, smarty. Um, adaptation is a film by Spike. <laughs> um, 
adaptation is good for animals and bad for TV and good for <laughs> is there like an ad- adapt or because it's not quite adapt or die right Ooh, I like it's- that I like that okay 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 we're back we're back adapt adapt or try <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing jazz hands so hard of a show right now adapt or try Adapt or try? Try. What What does that if mean? At first, you don't adapt. Try, try, try again. Get new poop. Is everything a metaphor for fecal transplants in some way? <laughs> adapt even when it's gross? Because, um, I mean, I have a... The fecal transplants are so interesting. They. I mean, it is fascinating. You don't want to... We have been trained... That that is object, right? That I mean, that thing is and like that is ev- that is evolutionary, right? Like the, to to yeah. say like, oh, well, we can't touch that; it'll make us sick. And then it's like, oh, until it's a doctor putting it in you intentionally, and now it's helping you. Yeah, no, it's and it could just save the lo- except except like koalas have adapted not to do that because they literally go up to their mama's butts and go nom nom nom. Oh my gosh, guys! Sorry, it's pretty late in the evening, and it um, is. Everyone that had to hear me say that. <laughs> Sorry. Adapt. Um, fecal trans. So do we want to go the adapt or try, try or do we want to go that you should think this week, how can I carry the energy of a fecal transplant into the world? <laughs> Something that I think is object and doesn't help anyone could be life-saving to someone else. Okay. Okay. No, that okay is not an okay okay. Well, I'm just, I'm not sure that I can get it to... Fit everything. Yeah, I'm not... I don't think it fits. It, I can't well, get I mean. Because some of these things were not hard. Like, I don't think the Six Minutes podcast was a hard adaptation I don't like Veronica Mars, like the way that it fits with adaptation is just like, we see the technology adaptations and those were pretty natural progression. So I don't, so I think everything in our list demonstrates the importance of adaptations, but some of them happened very naturally and easily. And some of them are fighting and screaming. I'll starve myself to death before I eat that other eucalyptus plant kind of adaptations. Right. So like, I I think it has to adapt or die trying. Adapt or die trying. Okay. All right. I'll take that one. We got there. I accept I, it. Sorry, Michelle. I feel like we end every episode with you shaking your head at me like, Catherine, just shut up. <laughs> never. I'm never thinking, Catherine, just shut up. I know you are, but um, I think I'm projecting. <laughs> so with that said, we do want to let you know, if you're done, you're done. But if you're interested in Grab Bag. Now is the time for us to tell you exactly how to get, if you want to get in on all this fun. If you have a weird thing, a pop culture thing or a research thing, you can submit them to Angreement and we might read it out on the show. They could be included as our grab bag feature. To submit, you can send an audio file like the one we had tonight 
with your own recorded submission, or if that's not your style, you can just type out your submission and we can read it. You can send those to angrementpodcast at gmail.com. Please, if you send an audio clip, introduce yourself in the audio clip and or include your name as you would like us to credit you in the show. So just first name, full name, whatever it is, let us know. We're going to read whatever you give us. If you want to be anonymous, don't put a name. If you don't want us to read last names, don't put them. Angrementpodcast at gmail.com. It will also be in the show notes. And if you're following us on Facebook, we will post about it there as well. Yes. So thank you all. Thank you for going on this journey with us. Adapt. Thanks, Michelle. Or die trying. I love this. (laughs) Good night. We're going to adapt or die trying. That's (gasps) Michelle. But the grab bag is an adaptation. It's an adaptation. Podcast. Yes, look at us. We did not (sighs) plan that. Done. Dusted. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.